Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Giant Pod with me, Andy Rintmore. My guest this week is Emily Howis. We talk about her daughter, Clover, who's an incredibly inspiring case. She has a very rare form of epilepsy and various other neurological conditions. She's a bit of a miracle, a medical marvel. We talk about the cannabis products that she needs to have a better quality of life and how much they are costing her parents every single month to get and have and, and Emily's fight to 10 Downing Street to get this stuff prescribed for her on the NHS. We talk about getting counselling and therapy off the back of seeing your child so ill and struggle so much in their infancy. And I think that's a very, very important, vulnerable conversation to have. There's a lot of taboo and stigma around parenthood and struggling with parenthood that I think we need to sort of bust the doors open a little bit more on. It's okay. A lot of people who are parents struggle with being parents and struggle with the circumstances that they're in. And I think this part of the podcast is incredibly important to talk about. I think we should normalise this stuff more often. And I really do thank Emily for her vulnerability and honesty and that part of the podcast. We talk about loads of stuff. Um, it's a very, very deep podcast in many ways. It's an inspiring one. It's one um, with tragedy, comedy, um, uplift. It's, there's so much going on in this conversation. Um, I'm not going to talk any more about it because I find it really difficult to encapsulate what we talk about and, and do it any justice. So, so here's Emily Howis with the story of Clover on the Giant Pod. Enjoy. Hey, me again. Just a quick disclaimer. Uh, the SD card corrupted on this episode, so we've had to use the mic backup from the cameras on set here. A um, little roomier than usual, but perfectly serviceable audio. Give it a few seconds. Your brain will adjust. No problem. But if you notice anything's up, that's what it is. We're using the backup mics from the cameras. Thanks very much. Enjoy the pod. So, thanks for coming. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, it um, has, yeah. I don't know when I first messaged you ages ago. I think we talked in the street, actually, at some point. Or maybe at the co-op. Yeah, oh, that was a long time ago. That that's why I did most of my dodgy deals. Yeah, I bet. Soliciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I know, actually, um, it, did, it did get to the point, didn't it, when I bump into you, it would be a bit of a running joke, like... Oh, I will get I, I will. Honestly, I will. And I did all, I, all intentions um, means to get you on, so I'm glad yeah. that you, you're Good. finally here. Good. Um, so tell, tell me about Clover, because you're here because you've been campaigning for your daughter to get CBD um, oil, or what, what's, what's, the, what's the deal now with that stuff? Clover takes something called full-spectrum cannabis oil. Right. So it's not just CBD, it's also all the other compounds of the plant. So CBD is just one of hundreds and hundreds of compounds in a cannabis plant. Uh, it's particularly helpful with seizures, but there are other compounds, um, namely THC, CBG, um, that are also helpful in seizure control. So the best control you can get is with a full-spectrum oil. Okay, interesting. And this is kind of, this is not, I feel like I'm guilty of being a bit, ignorant to some of this stuff, but there's going to be a huge part of, of the world or the population or whatever, or public opinion, 
that is just going to think cannabis, drugs, mm. you know, illegal, bad. Yes. Um, well, uh, what's next? Heroin? You know, like, um, you know. If you were to ask me if my daughter was high, you wouldn't be the first person. Right. That way. I'm not going to. Um, but is she? <laughs> no. No. She's pretty happy, but she's not high. Um, lots of people have the wrong impression that the cannabis that clover takes is like recreational cannabis. Right. If I can make a comparison for you, clover has, clover's oil has something like 0.2% THC in it. If you were to smoke a spliff, it could have anywhere from 10 to 38% THC in it. Right. And so THC is, is the... The psychoactive compound. Right. Yeah. So the idea of, of the way we dose clover is that she takes such a high dose of CBD that that CBD counteracts the psychoactivity of the THC that she takes. Oh, so there is THC in it? There is, okay, yes. right. And actually in clover's case and in many other children's cases, the THC is actually the, the more effective at the seizure control. So we started over with um, a really high level of CBD and a tiny, tiny bit of THC. It wasn't until we added another oil that's really high THC that we started to notice a marked improvement in her seizure control. Okay, that's interesting because you said this, I'm trying to understand this, you, very low THC, you've gone for more THC, mm-hmm. but you've also said that there's so much CBD that it counteracts the THC. Okay, so yeah. it's not. It's not cancelling the THC out, is it just kind of like blunting it? It's blunting the psychoactive side of it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They've done yeah. lots of studies which have shown that the TH that the psychoactive element of the THC is controlled with high doses of C B D. Right. Um, so what you're working with is a ratio. So um, some companies sell they call it C B D oil, but uh, some of them do have uh, tiny elements of THC in them, and they often sell them at a ratio. So you could maybe buy a 20 to 1 or a 33 to 1, and that ratio is ratio of CBD to THC. Um, so what we did with Clover is we, her, her first oil is a 33 to 1 CBD to THC. Um, we recognised when we got to a certain dose on that oil that we needed to increase the ratio of the THC. So that's when we added another oil that had high THC. So we're constantly fiddling with that ratio right. to figure out what ratio works the best for her. Okay. And as she gets older, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to give her more, or you have to just do the same dosage but up a certain element of uh, one of the things, or what? How you probably don't know. It changes all the time. Right. It's her dose is weight based. So firstly, as she grows, it will get um, her doses will get bigger. Secondly, she will have various environmental influences on her seizure control. So um, hormones have a big impact, illness has a big impact, um, various growth spurts. Basically, it's a moving feast constantly. So we're constantly having to manage what she's taking and how she's taking it to keep the best control that we possibly can. Okay. And this is expensive stuff, isn't it? Yes. This is the main crux of, of your of your campaign, isn't it? Is that you, you believe that this life changing stuff, which has a bit of a stigma to it, mm-hmm. and needs more, it needs to be normalised more in the mainstream, doesn't it? Um, because cannabis is obviously a, it's illegal still, isn't it? So there's a there's a way around that of what you're doing. Isn't it? So medical cannabis has, was made legal. When uh, was this? Back in November 2018. Okay. So. How do I not know this? <laughs> so, so basically, the, the, the crux of the issue with, uh, with the cannabis that Clover takes is that not that it's not legal, it's that it's unlicensed. 
So there is one product that's available on the NHS as a licensed product, and that's called Epidionex, but that is a CBD isolate. That means they've stripped the CBD from the mm -hmm. plant, and they've removed all the other compounds that have done all these wonderful things, and they've just kept the CBD alone. Um, they also then add other fillers to these medications, um, some not so nice, ethanol, sucralose, um, things that are quite known to be seizure triggers, and then they put that in a pharmaceutical medicine. So, right. in effect, they make something natural, synthetic. Right. Um, and that's the one licensed drug that they have, which is, they call it a cannabidiol. A cannabidiol. Cannabidiol. Which is the whole family. <clears throat> I see. I see. So that's no good. Well, it, for some children it works, but it's often reported to work temporarily um, because it's just CBD alone that the doses that they have to take are so high that lots of kids get um, gastrointestinal issues um, and just can't stomach the amount of the drug that they're giving them. Right. So she, seizure control with epidiolet, um, I have heard from others' experience, is quite short-lived. Okay. And so, yeah, this is costing you and... Um and Clover's dad, Spencer, shout out Spencer, um, a lot, of, I, don't, I don't want to disclose your finances on, on the pod if you're not comfortable, I, I don't know what, because we're friends on Facebook and I see you around and we talk, I don't know what is privileged information and what isn't with some of this stuff. No, no, I mean, it's, we're, we're more than transparent about what we spend on it, at the moment it costs us £997 a month. Out of your own pocket? Out of our own pocket, we've, um, we've managed to fundraise uh, monthly donations recently. Right. So those monthly donations uh, equate to about £490. So as it stands, we fund the rest every month. And we have lots of generous friends and family and acquaintances who send us the odd five, five to fifty quid a month here and there. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, that's basically, I mean, I got, <coughs> I got paid today. And I just, I just almost all of it, isn't it? Exactly. So it's almost as much as we spend on our house. Right. Every month. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's shocking. So, so there's no, yes, yeah, so there's no NHS. Well, the NHS aren't doing it because they don't, clearly just don't have the drug available, right? Because it's a licensing thing. Right? That's the issue. Um, it's it is available. So there are cheap, three children who have uh, an NHS prescription. For the exact medicine that Clover is taking. Okay. Um, we fight and fight and fight. So those three children have it on the NHS. There are over a hundred children who pay for it privately, and we are part of the campaign of those other children's families to get ours on the NHS because the double standards is it is insane. Right. This is bad, isn't it? It's yeah. And the deeper you go into it, the the sort of more frustrating because... I mean, yeah, put yourself in our shoes and understand how frustrated we all are because there's no real reason why they don't give it to us. Yeah. You know, they, they constantly say that there are safety issues and efficacy issues, but it's firstly, it's safe and effective for those three children to have it on the NHS. Right. Secondly, it's legal. So why is it um, deemed safe and effective for us to have it if we pay for it? But it's not deemed safe and effective for us you to have it paid... I would have thought so, yes. Uh, I think there are powers that up there that are controlling the whole thing and I'm not the I you know, I'm not qualified to go into that. Right. But it does feel like somebody's pulling strings way up there somewhere. 
It's strange, isn't it? Because you'd, you'd think that that would be a money-making opportunity, wouldn't it? If mm. you were to put something on the NHS. I mean, presumably, yes, it's free or subsidised for us, but someone's paying. I would assume, and I don't really like to speculate, again, I'm not qualified, but I would assume that it's a lot to do with the fact that they want to put the medicine through trials and that many people will benefit financially from the trials. Mm. And if you deem it safe and effective for our children, it almost nullifies the trials that they want to put it through. I see. Um, All right. So maybe we should rewind a bit. Now we've got the the Mm up-to-date information on on what you're campaigning for, what your mission is. Let's talk a little bit about Clover and and the the fact that she's a bit of a medical marvel, isn't she? Mm -hmm. And and I think once we finish talking about that, it will be very obvious why you feel the need to, to do this, obviously because it's costing you so much money as well. Yeah. But there's some, you know, there's a reason you're willing to 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 make that happen every month. And it's because without it, she's just so unwell, isn't she? So yeah. maybe we should start at the beginning. We were chatting in the in the preamble a little bit and you were saying that she was diagnosed while you were pregnant. She so was. this has been just the whole because everyone I know that has epilepsy has developed it at some point in their life and it's been like a shock to them. Yeah. This is, um, I'm, I'm not saying that's every epilepsy diagnosis, just the people I know that have had it. Yeah. Seems to just one day be like, oh, what's going on? And then the doctor's like, wow, that was epilepsy. Um, so this is fascinating because it's day yeah. not. Yeah, well, her seizures, her seizures started when she was three months old, but I mean, pretty much day not. But she was diagnosed with, um, she received a diagnosis when I was about 30, three weeks pregnant. So uh, about 30 weeks into my pregnancy, I went into the RUH on Christmas Eve, uh, in fact, for a growth scan that I'd had a couple of episodes where she hadn't moved as much as I'd liked. So the midwife just sent me in just to go and check her out. And Spence and I went in on Christmas Eve thinking it would just be another lovely opportunity to see our little girl on the screen. Mm. And then suddenly they were running out of the room for a second opinion. Right. Um, we ourselves yeah. and they, they came back in and told us that they could see some fluid on her brain right so we were actually told on Christmas Eve that she had a bleed on her brain right. uh, they sent us away said that they had to refer us to fetal medicine in Bristol and that it would take a few days to get the referral to go and actually have her properly checked out by a fetal medicine specialist right. so obviously we went through a Christmas where we were just numb, had no idea what on earth was going on, did all the research we could about brain bleeds and none of it was, was good. And then eventually went to fetal medicine and, and had an MRI and they actually found that she had a, the, the bleed that they thought was there was actually a cyst, right. which look, I mean, you or I could have a cyst in our brain and not know about it. They, right. They're that common and, and they can have absolutely no effect on people and how they live. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also found that she was missing the middle part of her brain, um, the part that connects the left and the right hemisphere, which is called the corpus callosum. Right. So the corpus callosum is basically, it's like the super, super highway of the brain. Uh-huh. So it's, it communicates the left and the right side. So it's, it's what allows you to connect your actions with your emotions and, and you know, all sorts of things like that, you know. Play piano. Yeah, you, you know, logic with your creative side, all right. sorts of stuff. Um, but having said that, again, they told us that if you didn't have a corpus callosum, you had 75% chance of living a normal life. 
What's, what's normal by their uh, definition? They, they compare that to what they call neurotypical. So somebody who doesn't have any brain abnormalities. Oh, I will compare. So what does what does normal mean? I mean, this is, do you know what this is? What we've said since yeah. Clover was born. What's normal? I mean, me and her dad certainly aren't normal, so she didn't have much of a chance. <laughs> right. Um, so we decided we were offered a termination. Um, we decided to continue with the pregnancy. Seventy-five um, percent. It's a fairly it's a fairly big whack, isn't it? And it's a, that's a big ethical conversation that yeah probably don't want to have, but they, those are not bad odds, are they? And if you're just talking about neurotypical, I mean, if, it's slightly different if they said to you, it's very likely that she's going to have a very, very poor quality of life, and um, yeah. can you say vegetative state? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, the thing is, she was later diagnosed with ACARDI, and the reality is that if, she, if they had known she had ACARDI when I was 33 weeks pregnant, they would have strongly suggested a termination. What is that? So ACARDI is a syndrome which is made up of, of a, a, a triad of symptoms, basically. One of them is a genesis of the corpus callosum, which is what I just explained. Right. That's the it's piece called missing. It's a genesis. means It means absence of... So no genesis. No, no, no corpus callosum. So right. a genesis of the corpus callosum means that you have an absent corpus callosum. Right. Yeah? Okay. Um, and... The other two things were um, seizures uh-huh. and also something behind the retina called lacunae, where they have lesions behind the retina, which are basically like basically like holes okay. that sort of look really red when they go and look behind the eye. Um, and you only see these lesions in girls with acardi. Right. So. And white girls is there this different between? B, they understand that it's a mutation of the X chromosome. Okay. So when boys have it, they don't survive the pregnancy because without the one X chromosome that they have, they don't survive. Okay. Whereas girls are XX, aren't they? Right. I'm no, I'm no scientist. I'm just, I'm just relaying what I think I understand. But it seems like <laughs> basic maths, and I think yeah. I can grasp that. I think, yeah, I think me too. That's what I've taken from it. <laughs> um, so... So we went through the first three months and she was perfect. You know, she, she, was, born, we were, she was born with intensive care in the room. Um, everybody was on hand thinking that she wasn't even going to be breathing. You know, it, right. was, it was full on. I think we had something like 27 people in the delivery room, just in case. But she was born and she was perfect and she was breathing and she was doing, she fed beautifully and everything for the first three months was absolutely perfect. Couldn't believe luck. Couldn't believe our luck. Did they, did they take her away and do scans and tests? And no. Was she just too I, young or they just like just... She had tests but they, they basically gave her to me straight away, let me have what they call skin on skin when mm. you, um, you know, that... That I've seen that. obvious. Yeah. I've seen daddies with their shirts off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and then straight away they took her just to make sure that all her vitals were right. Is um, that normal? That was normal. No, no, no. Right. They would have left her with me if they didn't need to check her out. Right. But they did this all in the room, and then she, then she came straight back to me, and she fed, and she was fine, and she spent all night with me, and she went for some ultrasounds, but I went to everything with her, so she didn't leave me at, at any point actually, which was. Right quite unusual in circumstances. Okay, but nice though. Nice, well she was well, and everybody appreciated that she was really well, so um, we were all really happy. And then 
three months down the line. She had a 12-week vaccination on the Wednesday. And then that night I sort of noticed that when she was feeding, she was pressing her body into me. A weird sort of, I thought she had a tummy ache, you know, she was like crunching all of her body up. Mm. Um, I didn't think anything of it. I gave her a bit of something to help her tummy and then carried on. And she did that for a couple of days until I woke her up on the Friday from a nap and held her in my arms, under her arms. And she was stood up on my knee and she just sort of kept collapsing on my knee. And I thought, I laughed at her actually because I just thought she was such a comedian and I thought she was being funny. Right. And I thought she did it a few times and I thought, well, she's being really silly. And then it got so repetitive that I thought, hang on, mm. this is not really normal. Okay. And I laid her down on her back and then I could see that her whole body was sort of jackknife crunching. Would it, would like, her, like her legs were coming up yeah. and her arms were crunching forward, almost like she was doing crunches. I see. Oh, right. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then her eyes were sort of darting to the right-hand side, so you could see her eyes looking over her shoulder. Um, I, we had been told, because of brain abnormalities, to look out for seizures, and straight away I thought, that is a seizure. That's, yeah. that's not normal. And how does that, how does that feel? I've got, I've got a friend, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying, I've got a friend who had epilepsy, it was very bad, and he kept having, um, I'm sure you know all about... Um, petty males yeah. and, and grand males and he would have a grand male every sort of few months or something and be the doctors would describe it as like a big blowout and his brain sort of resetting. Yeah. Um, and I for years got away with only seeing the petty males, which he also called absences, where he would just I'd be walking along the street with him and I'd be chatting to him and I'd realise he wasn't so close to me. And I'd turn around and he'd be still up on his still up. Just staring. But just gone. Mm. And then I had to rush to him and grab him before he fell. And the amount of times he went down like a sack of shit. Mm. And didn't break anything. Didn't barely hurt himself. For years I couldn't believe that he hadn't hit his head or done, yeah. done great damage, broke a bone. Did he have to wear a helmet? No, nothing, no, no. no. Um, but it wasn't until he got older, started to lose a little bit of weight and stuff like that. Then he started getting injured more and more often. Obviously, him bouncing mm. and can take a, a bigger hit when you're younger. But um, I saw so many of those little absences throughout the years. I just knew statistically I was going to see a, a grandma at some point. And he was round. He was round mine when I was still living at home, and we were hanging out. I was playing Gears of War or something, some video game, and I, and he started having a what I thought was a an absence next to me. So I pause the game and I just do what I'd normally do, just sit there and wait. Yeah. And then when he comes back around, I'd be like, you cool? And then it takes a minute for him to realise where he is. And, and um, but it didn't end. And I was like, no, no, here we go. And uh, it developed into a big one. And they're shocking, aren't they, to see? Yeah. Quite shocking. I remember shouting down and said, Mom! Yeah. Mom! And she was like, what? <laughs> Like, get up here now. She's like, why? And I was like, Tom. <laughs> well, because you don't, if you're not used to them, you don't know what yeah. to do. You've not learned what to do. They are, I mean, they are still terrifying to us now. It's horrible. It's horrible to, horrible to see <coughs> see someone, you know, your friend in, in, in that situation. I remember she when she came up, it sort of broke her heart. Which, oh. Yeah. You know, like I was kind of in, I was in like, phone the ambulance mode. I couldn't, like, I couldn't stop in. 
Yeah. Be, I couldn't be too affected by it at that moment. I had to be like, okay, this sucks, but we've got to, we've got to do something. So I can only imagine, and that's just like my mate, and I kind of knew it was going to be okay. Yeah. So I can't imagine the, I can't imagine, like how, how did that make you feel? Like, it's got to be shocking, right? Terrifying. Yeah, I mean, it's really strange. I find it really difficult to describe what you switch into when your child's sick. I mean, it's, you almost have to be so focused on what you're doing and getting everything right that you, the emotion's there, but you've got to push it to one side. Yeah. Because you're the one that's keeping them alive. Right. You know, at that, at that moment, she needed me to be totally unwavering in my focus and make sure that I listened to everything that any doctor said to me, that I listened to anything that that anybody else said to me, that I saw every little movement that she made. Mm. So, in the first week, you know, we were at, we were taken to hospital in an ambulance, and they they did a test on her brain. They call it an EEG, where they test the brain waves, um, and they saw that it was abnormal. That it definitely was not any normal activity going on in her brain, right. uh, but they, they were looking for something called infantile spasms, which is a, they, they call it a catastrophic form of epilepsy, right. because it is, um, it can destroy the brain completely. So you can have a child that goes from being, they might be six months old and they might be sitting up or nearly crawling, and they could revert back to being a newborn within three to four weeks of having these seizures because they are brain damaging. Interesting, interesting. That friend I was telling you about, he had all kinds of things where he had a, a magnet put in and he had like yeah, a swipe BNS, thing, yeah, yeah and uh, all kinds of things in it, and so many different medications, they just couldn't get to the bottom of it. Yeah. And he went for us, and he won't, he won't mind me saying this, oh, shut him, but he won't mind me saying this because he touched wood, he's clear now mm. because he's had something, you know, because of what I'm going to tell you. But when they looked at his brain, they realised that. I think it was his left, yeah, his left temporal lobe was so scarred mm. from all of the seizures yep. that the right temporal lobe had picked up all the slack. A bit like when you, when you donate a kidney or when your kidney fails, yeah. the other one just takes over. Yeah. And so, yeah, I can see like where you're, where you're heading with that. Is it because, the, I think people must think these seizures don't have any physical ramifications, but he had so much scar tissue on his no, yeah. they said we're going to cut. We, we want to cut your temporal lobe out, remove it. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, Jesus, that's scary. Like, so and they said, all these things to like, oh, you might have to, your speech might be slurred. This might happen, blah blah blah. And they did the operation. I just take my hat off to him, just like the bravery and everything for him to do that. He was absolutely fine, and he's been seizure free for months now, months yeah. and months. It's been an absolute miracle. Yeah. But it's. Seizures have a real physical damage on the brain. It's not just like a chemical thing that tells the muscles to do stuff. It's something with the, it's something about the electrical signals, isn't it? Like sort of misfiring or. or that's, that's exactly what it is. It's right. a misfire. But I mean, your brain controls your whole body. So every little thing that we do, we might think it's nothing to do with your brain, but your brain controls everything. Everything. Mm. You know how your body even functions. So. That the thing you know with infantile spasms is you want to you, you want to control them as quickly as possible. So a treatment's really really aggressive. So they um, they basically ply them with steroids, which are I mean industrial levels of steroids. I'm talking I'm talking an industrial dose for an adult, let alone 
uh, you know, an eight pound baby or whatever she was at the time. Right. Uh, she had a, she had steroids for six weeks. Um, she basically just turned into a vegetable during that time. She didn't smile. She didn't move. She didn't she, she didn't do anything. She just stared into space and um, ate basically. She was amazingly hungry. So I couldn't keep up with breastfeeding. I had to. Um, I had to supplement her with formula because it was just too much. I mean, she was feeding um, every 45 minutes. What? Yeah, and what? then she, and so every 45 minutes she'd start feeding for a half an hour and then she'd have a 15 minute break and she'd go again. I mean, it was, it, it, I didn't sleep basically she for weeks. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, we went through the emotional roller coaster at the time. We had no sleep. It was, it was probably the worst time of my life. I can imagine it doesn't get much. Yeah. I mean, there's a level below that, but it doesn't get much worse than I, that. It doesn't get much worse than that, particularly when you're constantly worrying about the future. And I, you know, I really struggled. I really struggled to come back into the room. And I was, I, I remember mum and Spence just, you know, I could hear them whispering about me on the landing and stuff because I was just so consumed with her and researching what I could do to help her. And, and trying to find stories of hope out there. Somebody, somebody who could make me feel like my daughter wasn't going to die. Right. You know, and it, so it was just all so intensely overwhelming that it took me a lot of therapy to actually come back into the room. What sort of, like a professional therapy? Yeah. Or your own sort of prescribed therapy? No, no, I went to see someone. I, um, I think after two or three weeks of me just being completely consumed in myself, I... You know, Mum and Spence said that I think it's time to go and to speak to somebody, and I did, and she helped massively, and that sort of allowed me um, to pull back and focus on what the reality was. And, okay. Um, what was the? Um, how long? How long was that therapy? Um, I had about six weeks of, of sessions, an hour to a week. That sounds quite. A, <coughs> in some ways, it sounds like a long time, but I don't think it sounds like a long time. No. It seems quite. Miraculous, really. I think when people think about having therapy or see, seeing someone, they think it's going to be a two-year, and it does. It's was you know case by case it change, won't it? But I think a lot of people think that therapy is this thing that like never ends. Yeah. It's this constant open wound every week or something. I think that therapy is something that you should always be open to. I think, so. I think that I'm I'm completely open to going again. You know, if I feel like I go through another rough period for whatever reason, then I'm I'm not ashamed at all to say that I would go again. Um, it's always been very helpful for me, um, and I think it's got its place definitely. There are some people who have the money. Um, they have a therapist like forever. Yeah, that'd be they amazing. Just, they just sort of check in with them. And I don't feel like I've got enough to talk about to see them every week. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> get to the point where I'm sort of twiddling my thumbs a bit. Yeah. I think I'm okay at the moment. <laughs> and I wonder at some point where the therapist goes, you know what, it's been 10 years, I think you need someone else. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know. But yeah, interesting. So you, so you sleep therapy for about six, six, uh, six weeks, you said. Yeah. What kind of... I am so... I'm so um, um, uh, fascinated by psychology and things like that. Like, there's yeah. a part of me that thinks like I should have studied some psychology or should be doing a bit more study into it in a more formal sense. Um, if you're comfortable to talk about it, what kind of like what was the process of that? How do they how do they pull you through that? And was there anything that they said to you that's like, 
oh, we've seen this before, or you're going through such and such a, a thing, whatever. What, what was the... Um, I think I was really lucky to stumble on a therapist who was recommended to me, actually, but she was really good at um, uh, probing me is probably the wrong word, um, but, you know, like you say, pulling things out of me. And I, I knew there were things that I was feeling, that I was ashamed that I was feeling. I see, yeah. I was, you know, I was grieving. My daughter was still alive and I was grieving her like she was dead. Right. And I, you know, I felt like I had had, I've always been quite a high achiever. I've always, you know, I've always done well at school. I've always done, you know, I, you know, has my law degree with really high grades. I've always, I've always been ambitious. You've got a law degree? Yeah. You're dangerous. Yeah, yeah well. <laughs> <laughs> they better watch out the rest of <laughs> oh gosh. Um, so I think when I found out, and I, I think it's not hard even for me to say now, even though I've come to terms with it. But when I found out that my daughter was potentially going to be disabled and you know never walk, never talk, never function, is what I thought was going to be the case at the time. Right. That was really hard for me to deal oh, with. Imagine. So what? So so guess what they're saying to you is. It, yeah, like they said, is you 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 were mourning the death, like pre, almost like. Um, I think I think people who have um, parents or loved ones who have things like cancer or think like dementia or whatever, they will go through the, this, these stages of kind of like mourning them before they're gone, yeah. because the there's a lot of the essence of them, or or I guess maybe in, in your case it could have been like that. The dream of, of motherhood, how you'd always seen it, or, or, or kind yeah. of like you look around and you see your friends or, or family and, and see how theirs, their families are coming along, and, and exactly. perhaps you feel like it's the you're mourning that it's not gone that way for you, I guess. Well, the thing is, because at the, at the time, you know, and that that's newborn stage, you're spending time with loads of people who have kids that are your age and you're all really excited about this new experience together and then suddenly I'm thrust into something which I had no experience with. I had no idea how I was going to deal with it or how we were going to get through it. I, at the time I thought, you know, suddenly your mind goes to, will me and Spence survive this? Or, you know, it, it, I remember mum grabbing me, holding my head, my face in her hands one day and just saying to me, Em, you know, this is not the end of your little family. Because like she could see me just going, oh, it, you know, this is it. It's it. It's all falling apart. This is it. I, you know, I've been happy. You know, I, I, I understand grief. I lost my dad when I was 29 to cancer. He was ill for a very, very long time. Um, but this was different. You know, grieving my dad was a was a process that I was able to um, work through. I, we had a very close relationship, but I had no regrets. You know, when he ended up in hospice care, it was very much like a it was like a, a nice farewell almost with him. Whereas this was like, I've, I've got this child who I don't even want to cuddle her, right. you know? I didn't, I was so frightened to love her because I was so frightened to lose her that I, you know, all I would do was literally breastfeed her and then I'd pass her to somebody else because I, could, I just couldn't. Right, you're just protecting yourself. I couldn't have her near me. Right. Was, uh, but, but at the same time, I knew how much she needed me and how much Spence needed me. So I was just spiralling into this abyss of despair and at some point I think I just thought damn man, you're leaving these people behind yeah. <laughs> you know and they need you 
they need you. So sort yourself out. And that's when I went to therapy. Right. Used, that, that thing that you're talking about, to me, it's a very strange analogy, but sometimes it's how my brain makes connections. What you were talking about there when you were saying you were sort of scared to love her, it's kind of you hear these stories in like war, I and mean, these guys have gone into war together and they've lost friends. And then they see these new recruits. I saw it the other day in, in a, some interview with uh, a guy um, who was in the Battle of the Bulge. And he said that these, these new recruits would come in and he said that they would, they, for some reason, they would die so quickly. He said that in the end, they just didn't, they didn't want to know them. They yeah. didn't want to talk to them. They didn't want to invest in them because they were like just so sick of like, the Who's pain. people? Yeah. And they were like, yeah. well, you know, if, I'm, if I make friends with you, tomorrow you're going to go. And I'm gonna, and I can't do that because I need to survive and I need to look after me and my mental state. Yeah. And it's a, it's kind of the same. It's different, but it's kind of that sort of like you're protecting yourself, aren't you? And you're and you're yeah. like not allowing. You're putting up. You're basically putting up a wall, aren't you? Well, that's what we naturally do as humans, don't we? We we try to protect ourselves all the time. Mm. I think, I think the biggest, it, the biggest support I had in a way at that time was other parents. So. I mean, I'm, Facebook is, is negative for many reasons, but for me, I find it really positive because the number of parents I've connected with around the world who have kids who not just have acardi but also have various forms of epilepsy have really um, given me hope. And actually, in those really dark days, it was, it, it was people uh, in America, you know, mums who I still speak to regularly now, who's... Their girls were five and they were able to give me the hope that I needed that Clover might just be alright. Right. You know, and if she she might not be she might not be normal, yeah. whatever the what that word means, yeah. but she'll be alright. She looks normal to me. Well, I mean you look at her now and I I think back to those days and I think, gosh, she's exceeded every expectation I could have had. Yeah. I mean, that's why I share so much about her. Um I'm not, I've never been a big Facebook um, social media person. I don't never really like sharing things about my life. But Clover is such a little miracle that I want to give other parents the hope that they gave me. Yeah. Because that got me through. And without it, I don't know what I would have done. So if somebody finds Clover on Facebook and they're in those early days and they're in that dark place and they see my little girl and they think, look at her, my little girl might be like her, and that makes them happy, then job done. But you can, like with you, I guess you could, I guess you've seen their pictures on Facebook of their kids at whatever age they were at, and, and it just shows you that, yeah, it just shows you that, um, that you know, life goes on, yeah. and, and that you can get, you can probably get to where they are, and it's not all sort of doom and gloom and, Absolutely. and um, death coming on. Whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, Clover is still in a, she still has what they class as severe epilepsy. Mm. Uh, death is still a risk for her. You know, we, a seizure could kill her in the middle of the night. She's hooked up to so many monitors when she goes to sleep at night. Um, she has a, a pulse ox which tests her oxygen while she's sleeping. Is that she, one of those? Yeah, she um, ha it's attached to her foot actually, so it measures her heart rate and her blood oxygen levels while she's asleep. Right. So if they go into dangerous levels, we get alarmed. She's also got a seizure camera which monitors her movement. So if there are any strange repetitive movements over a certain level amount of time, it alarms and wakes us up so we can go and check on her. That's fascinating. How is that? Is that um, yeah. like an AI? 
then is it more like I don't know how it works actually, but it's like a movement detector. You can, I mean, you can click a button on it and it basically highlights all the bits of her body that are moving in red. So right. if you're not sure, if, it's te if it picks something up and you click the motion button, it will show you that it's her arm twitching. Or, I mean, it's fascinating. Very clever stuff. I mean, we got that on a grant, so there are some amazing foundations out there. It's about £1,000 worth of kit and right. um, a charity bought it for us. So uh, we're very lucky to have that. So what other machines has she got? I mean, they're the two that monitor her quite heavily. We've got two other cameras on her in case that one breaks down, <laughs> just in case. I, I mean, know about this stuff. yeah. Well, I wouldn't sleep at night if we didn't. Right. I just I need to know that she's okay, and you know I don't I don't want to be going in and waking her up every two seconds. I mean, I would if I was worried, but uh, if I can just check the cameras, <laughs> make sure she's all right, then that's. You know, that's good, isn't it? And how do you check those? Are they on like an iPad software thing? Yeah. Or, right. Yeah, so, so the... You can roll over. Exactly. And, and one, right? You can roll over and, and check. But are you yeah. at a point now where if you, you, there's no alarms, then you'll, you trust it? Yeah, well, the uh, the seizure alarm, the monitor, you, you sort of change the parameters on that one. Right. So it took us a few weeks to get it to pick up Clover's seizures in particular. Because all seizures are different. Right. Um, so I... I fairly confident that I know if she hasn't had a seizure in the night because her heart rate always spikes. So what I can do is check the history of her heart rate monitor in the morning. Mm -hmm. And if there's been no spikes, then I know that the camera's not missed anything. Right. If I do see a spike, I can then go back to that exact time on the camera and see what we missed. Right. So change it for next time. And it's just about pulling in those parameters and making it Exactly. And mapping it basically, isn't it? And getting it. So it would be a bit of a process, wouldn't it? Because yeah. you have to essentially, you have to teach the camera what to look for. Yeah, basically. Oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. And and does she sleep all right? Like because it's like yeah. it all seems a bit possibly a little invasive, doesn't it? I guess they they design these things to be as gentle as you can. She be. doesn't even notice. I mean, she's worn the sock on her foot since she was about four months old, so she's quite used to that. She tries to put it on herself. So oh, she it's knows, a sock? Yeah, it's like, uh, a, it like Velcro's around her foot. Right, I was thinking it was one of those things no, that no. kind of... Um, no, like she'd never clothes. keep that on. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The camera like the one. big big square ones, yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah, the clip. Sure. That's it. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it's really um, it's really flush to her foot, so it just right. wraps around and around the back of her ankle. Okay. Um, okay. So so you had, so you got your therapy and you started in six weeks and started to, to feel like you were finally becoming you know coming back to the old you I guess or mm -hmm. or being able to um to uh, process what's happening to you and, and have a healthier approach. What, what happens next? What's the next stage then? Okay, so I guess then was our start of the cannabis journey. Uh, so one mum I got in touch with in America, her Acardi girl was five at the time, and she um, was on no medications, just took um, uh, cannabis oil. Uh, so there are two that come from Colorado, which are they're both full spectrum and they were both designed with uh, children with epilepsy in mind. One's called Charlotte's Web, the other's called Haley's Hope. Um, so this little girl uh, took Haley's Hope and sh her mum basically said it's life changing. Uh, if Even though at the time we had seizure control from the steroids, it was short lived but we had it at that time. And she said even though you've got seizure control, 
the CBD uh, oil will work wonders for her development. So try it now. Right. Was that what, what, when you say that, if, if you took a neural tip, neurotypical child of the same age and you start with that treatment, are you saying that that stuff is just generally helpful and, you know, like a cod liver oil is considered um, to be good for everyone? I think we should all take some sort of cannabis oil. Right. Because it's, it basically, it's... It, Bold statement. Yeah, big, it, uh, without getting into the scientifics, it basically, our, our, cis, our bodies have a system called the endocannabinoid system, which is basically um, how everything works in balance so that we work properly. So all we're doing by adding cannabis is we're adding, uh, we're, we're introducing something that already happens naturally in our body. Right. So it's, it basically, um, it basically balances the, the systems in your body, they call it homeostasis. Okay. Um, That's your, isn't that your ability to regulate your temperature? Everything, your ability to regulate everything. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to name any names, but I had an ex-girlfriend who used to smoke weed every night. Yeah. And when she stopped, she didn't smoke weed, she couldn't, she couldn't, um, her body really? Yeah, it was like a withdrawal thing. Oh, that's so fascinating. Unable to. Um, that's really interesting because I think that, that, well, that, me. that comes from a part of your brain. I think it's the hippocampus. Don't quote me on that. But that's that. Yeah, that's all about your brain. So what? So basically, the reason that THC is so good for seizures is that it there's a um, there's a, an element or in your brain, and I'm I'm talking about something scientific, but I'm not scientific. So bear with me here. But it, THC basically replaces that thing that somebody with epilepsy is lacking. Right. So it almost closes a link in a circuit in the brain, so it stops this misfiring happening. Okay. So it, it, I, I mean, if I could afford it, I'd be taking it, but I spend enough on clovers, so... Uh... <laughs> Interesting. We had Dr Susie Gage on the podcast back in season one, and she does um, a podcast called say why to drugs okay. and it's co-hosted by Scroobius Pitt who's one of the biggest podcast names out there and um, every episode is on a different drug she would even do nicotine, uh, really? caffeine, cannabis, uh, or, or every drug, um, um, alcohol, everything that's considered a drug she would talk about but it's never with any stigma she literally just talks about the science and when she was I can't remember if it was a podcast I listened to about cannabis with her or whether it was a conversation we had. I think it's one that we had, but she was talking about the cannabinoid and, and, and that there's receptors in our brain yep. that are the exact same, the exact same shape as the cannabinoid. Exactly. So somewhere naturally in our development, the body um, is used to or needs or wants or has or whatever works um, with Exactly. As a natural. Um, yeah, you got it in one. Right. Yeah. See, I didn't need to tell you. Hey. <laughs> I've learned a lot on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think the one that THC replaces is called anandamide. Right. Um, or two AG or something along those lines. But yeah, exactly that. So essentially, what you're doing is. It binds that? to those receptors, and it. And everything's cool. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like electrical tape on a wire. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah so, I mean, yeah. Insulation. Insulation, maybe. Insulation, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fascinating. Fascinating. And so, did you have to look into, I mean, you've got a law degree. 
So I guess looking into the legalities of shipping this stuff over and stuff yeah. because Colorado is a, is a state where it's all legal. Oh no, I remember you mm. told me it's legal here, isn't it? In it is, but only but so there's there's a slight difference. So to buy over the counter cannabis oil, it has to have less than I believe 0.2% THC, which is nothing. In it, which is nothing. Uh, so for some for some people that does work for epilepsy. That's what we were buying from Colorado. So Haley's Hope was the first oil we started on. It was legal to buy and ship over here because it was under the legal level of THC to buy over the counter. What's the legal limit? What's the what's the, the most that um, Jessica and Boots will have to uh, I wouldn't ever buy any CBD oil in Boots because it's probably got a negligible amount of anything in it. Right. Um, that is, is the but short answer. For argument's sake, <laughs> <laughs> what, do you do you know what the what the uh, what's the what is the strongest that you're able to? I think that they've done some tests and found more THC in things that you can buy in Holland and Barrett, for instance, than they say. Yes, and I think they've done some tests and find that it's got absolutely nothing in it. So right. I I honestly wouldn't. I'm I'm not knocking Holland and Barrett here, but. I wouldn't, they don't sponsor the pot, so I wouldn't trust them for any sort of cannabis oil, okay. personally. Hot take, there you go. Yeah. Um, who do you go to for your cannabis oil? I guess so, that's a good question. So yeah, so we started uh, with Haley's Hope, which we bought from Colorado. Um, we, it, basically, overnight her development just soared. She started doing things that all her peers were doing, I mean faster. She, she crawled and walked to, before lots of the other kids that we know. Um, she was literally just smashing milestones out of the park, and they, it always seemed to coincide with an increase in her in her cannabis oil. Right. So we'd increase her dose, and then she'd learn something new. And it was there was no coincidence. It right. was. I mean, she was just doing incredibly well. Um, she then, I mean, she had five months seizure free after the steroids, and then she relapsed, and um, her spasms just started to get worse and worse again. She developed another type of seizure, which um, which is the one that she still has now, actually. And we... Hang on, say that again. So she, did you just say she developed another... Yeah, so so right. in her in her infancy, she only had infantile spasms, which were the really quite subtle-looking... Those crunch things. That you yeah. Okay. yeah, when she relapsed, she then developed a, what, what they call a focal seizure. So, like you said with your friend and his temporal lobe, so all of Clover's seizures come from um, her right frontal lobe. Right. Um, so she's got something in that right frontal lobe that they call heterotopia, which is basically, um, it's called a migration disorder. It's where the, basically the grey matter in the brain has not made it to the right place. I see. So, um, so it, basically that's where things miss fire. Okay. So her seizures always affect the left side of her body. Ah. And, is, and I guess my understanding, just to bring the listener in on grey matter, my understanding of grey matter is that it's that sort of putty-like elastic yeah. stuff in the brain which kind of is the, it, it links the, um, when you learn a new skill, it's the grey matter that allows those messages, it goes through the grey matter, doesn't it, to, to send, and as you get yeah. older, the reason that we have, um, the reason that like typically the, the cliche is that your gran is picking up the, um, the TV remote thinking it's the phone, yeah. is because, and, and this inability to learn new things fast, or, or, and which is often why technology bewilders older people, I think, and I'm not being ageist, I'm just trying to be scientific, is that the grey matter Oh, as you get older, becomes less has less elasticity. Yeah, which, I think so. Which affects your ability to learn 
fast or retain the knowledge. Something like that. So it becomes, it becomes. That's why kids can learn three languages really quick yeah. when they're young, and then when you get older, it's it's much more challenging because because the grey matter toughens up. Yeah. Well, well, basically, when you when when kids are young, you're especially in in kids like Clover, you're looking to improve the plasticity of the brain. So. Basically, oh, it, you can affect that. Yeah. So, so basically, the what you're trying to do is encourage the brain to create its new pathways. So, without without this middle part of her brain that Clover's missing, she shouldn't be able to coordinate one side of the body with the other. So, right. um, often kids with no corpus callosum, they'll they won't crawl. They'll they'll bum shuffle because it's sort of both sides are working at the same time. Right. So Clover, I mean, four point crawled. So had the coordination to properly four-point crawl without the two sides of her brain connecting. Now... So she had must, at some point, have created her own pathways to allow, that, to allow that to happen. I, 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 I understand. Again, I'm not a brain scientist, so... Um, so does that mean that the, the brain... The brain... Repairs been... itself. Basically. Or... In some way. Or it's realised that it doesn't have this core and the grey matter's picked up the slack. I yeah. guess that's what you mean by repairing Exactly. Like so what we so what we did crack. with Clover lots when she was young is is they call it crossing the midline. So right. we did loads of exercises with her where we would make say the right foot touch the left hand and things like that. So right. so and we'd make her pass toys from one hand to the other and things like this. Right. So that basically one side of her body was crossing over to the other side. Uh -huh. And it's exercises like that that force your brain to create its own little pathway. So right. so basically she's made her own little super super highway where she's missing one. Okay. And then some of these newer seizures that came into play uh of of Am I understanding this right? It might be where it's maybe a, a, a more denser bit of grey matter, maybe, where, where she's been doing these things? Perhaps. Or? I mean, it, the nature of epilepsy is that it tends to progress. Okay. And particularly in a girl like Clover, she's got several brain abnormalities uh, that will all contribute to epilepsy at some point in her life. Uh, the problem with Clover is that, I mean, I know kids who've had half of their brain removed because they were just coming from that half of brain. Right. But she has some abnormalities on both sides, so there's, we can't really take her whole brain out. To, yeah. Nor would we need to go that far with her because she's doing so well. Yeah. So our, our battle always has been with Clover, the balance of medication and her development. So... <laughs> Basically, neuro offer all sorts of medications, but the side effects are often worse than seizures themselves. Right. So we made a decision when Clover was really young that we would always do our best to only have her on one medication at a time. Okay. So that she wasn't on a cocktail of meds where we didn't know where the side effects were coming, we didn't know what was working, what wasn't working. Uh, we, you know, we kept in control and we. We, you know, we let her be her best, really, right. without all these drugs. Mm. Um, so, can and it also say... lets you see what's working and exactly. how. Because there's a, obviously there's lots of, of people that take a cocktail of things, and if something isn't going right, and there's side effects, it can take months, can it, to figure out yeah. if it's a, too much of this or not enough of that, or if it's 
you need a different version of this thing. Or, yeah. So that's quite interesting that, that you've managed to be able to assess each thing. Absolutely. And, and, get a, a and cannabis has given us that opportunity, really. We've, we've now, she's on one pharmaceutical medication, and since she started on this prescription cannabis, she, we've reduced that dose by two-thirds. So we're trying to wean her off it completely, and this will be the first time since she was three months old that she's been med-free. So we'll actually get an opportunity to see who our little girl is without pharmaceutical medication. Okay, right. And you don't mean that in the sense that the, the, the medication dulls her personality? It's dulled her speech, so, oh, okay. so her communication is quite significantly delayed. I see. As we're weaning down this medication, she's starting to talk. Oh, so it's almost so like... Really are, I, yeah. Sorry, I thought you meant figuratively in the sense of... No, no. Of, um, in terms of her um, condition, where she is now, like, not literally kind of... Personality-wise, oh, I mean, personality-wise too. She's uh, as we've reduced her dose, she's become far more loving and affectionate. And I mean, she's really talking. Her, she's got more eye contact. She's she. It's like a fog lifting. Right. And that you know, fog that she's been under since she was three months old. I see. Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. Right. But yeah. So it, it's it's there is probably that yeah. It's odd, isn't it? Because. It, on the surface, that sounds like a miracle drug, doesn't it? Or a miracle treatment that, you know, you do this and you get all these improvements, but there's always a trade-off, isn't there? Of course there is. So, so now you're weaning her... So when was the decision made to, to wean her off it? At what point did you go, okay, now this is having more adverse effects than it is um, positive effects? We've been toying with it for a while, but as soon as we got her to the point where days where she did have seizures were the exception to the rule, right. that's when we thought, okay, we can try this now. Um, we have never relentlessly pursued seizure freedom for her. We... Oh, that's, that seems like a term. Yeah. A terminology. Uh, Tell me about seizure... I, I, it sounds pretty self-explanatory, but I feel like that's a, that's a buzzword from a... From somewhere. Sure, I mean, the doctors talk about seizure freedom. That's right. that's the result they are life, after. Life without. They just want the child that they're treating to have no seizures, and that's fine. That makes sense. That's what they're there for. Mm -hmm. um, but as I said earlier, at what cost? Right. So we, uh, how do I describe this? So we have decided to normalise seizures in our household. Okay. As long as Clover springs back from them and they don't have any negative impact on her, then we will basically not pursue any really heavy duty drugs to try and numb the seizures and numb her okay. as a byproduct. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's yeah, so you just kind of treat them as a as a yeah, it's just like it could be an everyday thing. As but long seizures as will be part of part right. of our life. They will be part of her life. She's likely to have them for her whole life. She will likely continue to have them no matter what heavy duty drug you throw at her. But what you take from her in the process would be her quality of life. Right. And that's what we're not prepared to take from her. Okay. If we would never rule anything out, but at the t at the moment she's happy, she's safe, she's. Her seizures are very short, they're all under a minute. She springs back, I mean, she had one for 20 seconds the other day after her lunchtime nap. Literally, it finished and she ate a flapjack. I mean, she has, she, there's no recovery period from them. She just springs straight back into life and she's absolutely fine. 
Okay. She's, you know, she's at nursery. We are comfortable with her and how well she is at the moment, not to add any heavy drugs. Okay, so you're trying to find that balance then, aren't you? There's a balance mm. somewhere to be had between she's shining through enough um, of through the through the treatment that you know you feel that she's enjoying life, and, and there's yeah. not, and there's not, um, she's not being dogged by multiple seizures and, and really sort of debilitating. Yeah. side effects of not having it. That's interesting, that will take a while, won't it? But then like you said yeah. in the beginning, it's an ever, it's an ever ongoing, evolving thing as she grows. It's trial and error all the time right. as well. I mean, we're still playing with a cannabis dose. So our plan at the moment is to keep weaning this medication down, but we do, we've already agreed another medication with the neuro that we have as a backup. So we're gonna try and get her to med-free level. We're gonna see where she's at. And in the middle of all of that, I'm going to play with her CBD and her THC doses mm -hmm. to see if we can, you know, regain any control we might lose along the way. Right. And if she's okay on just the cannabis, we'll stick with just the cannabis. Wow. If she's not, we have another med as a backup that we'll try. But we'll try it, and if it doesn't work, we'll get rid of that one as well. We won't, you know, we won't then add another and another and another. We're yeah. going to be really, always be really conservative with how much we medicate her. Methodical. Yeah. Fantastic. This is, um, she, she's very lucky to have you as a mum. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm very lucky to have her as a daughter. Yes. Um, tell me about Westminster. Yeah. Tell me about, did, did you go, I saw you in front of number 10. So yeah, tell, I did. Tell, tell, tell me about this, tell me about this. We had already agreed that we were going, we handed in a letter, um, a petition. Mm. Uh, we're basically trying to get them to listen. So right. the government uh, changed the law. They changed the law back in 2018, as I said at the beginning of the podcast. And since then, only these three children have prescriptions. Uh, we understand that there is a long way for the NHS to go to improve the access for children um, as a mainstream, but we have children that don't have the luxury of time right now. Right. We're all, I mean, I say we're paying £997 a month, some families are paying two and a half grand. Oh. Yeah, I mean, there's one family that sold their house for this. And it's just not right, in any sense of the word, to continue. When we know that the government have a discretionary fund in the Department of Health that they can use, so that's what we are asking the government. And what's the discretionary fund? Is it one where they go, okay, this is, this is, um, yeah, I guess it's at their discretion. Isn't Money it? that they so could, that they could use to fund our children's prescriptions while right. the NHS sorts out the access issues, because that's a much bigger issue that's going to take time. And it not come out the NHS budget. It wouldn't, no. So it's no. a separate fund. Yeah. It's then for their, for them to make an executive decision on, okay, this is a, yeah. This is a specialist situation, and it requires a more um, personal, yeah. specialist sort of understanding. Yeah. Exactly. My understanding, and this this is just a, a statistic that makes me laugh, is that the treasury spend more on paper clips every month than it would cost to fund the prescriptions of our children. <laughs> Lock them up. Lock them all up. <laughs> Not sure it surprises me. <laughs> on paper clips. Paper clips, yeah. Yeah, funny that one. <laughs> Bet you're going to use that now, aren't you? <laughs> uh, okay, so when you got to number, did you just take a picture at number 10 or did you 
We, 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 you, knock on, you knock on the door and they come and they take it. We, we actually had oh. to walk. Yeah, we so actually had to walk up and down the road about four times because ITV and another news station were there and they kept wanting to record and people kept walking past. And so the first time we went in, we handed the letter in in the envelope and they gave us the envelope back. So the second time we walked up, we handed in the envelope and then they took the envelope. The third time we walked up and we were like, sorry, we've got nothing to give you. <laughs> Just pretend, <laughs> just for the sake of the news. When you're staging something like that, do you become like hyper aware of like everything, like yeah. how you're walking? You like, yeah, you I know, mean, there's no moment when you like start like, tripping over or losing your balance because you're focusing so much on like, how do I look as I act, walk to number yeah. 10? We've done so much of the media now, and honestly, like they come to your house and they're telling you to sit here and like honestly a times photographer came round and he was literally trying to like almost get expensed to contort himself into these weird positions so that the view of the the photo was right honestly you just feel like a puppet but yeah. it's all got to be done hasn't it i mean there's a little power trip in that as well yeah probably like, shots these people's houses probably. and stupid stuff spence hates it he's not he just hates it but he's got to do it he's a good sport he's a good he sport. is a good sport he's we always sh- there we should shout spencer out and give spencer some love because, yeah because he does he works so hard doesn't he he does and i wouldn't be able to do any of this without him and, you know, all of the talk about my emotions, I mean, he goes to work every day, he works his bloody arse off for me and Clover, and he then has to come home and deal with my emotions on top of that, and, you know, we've not had a, 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 an easy ride. This two and a half of our four-year relationship has been blighted with all of this, but we're really lucky to be as strong as we are, and, you know, we, we support each other, and some families aren't so lucky. Hmm. So there you go. There you go. There's your There's your moment. Yeah, really nice. um, what's next? You see, you, you handed them the. Um, you handed them the. Your. Was it? Was there a paper clip on it? By? I did. No, I can't, I can't actually remember. Yeah. We should have just put them all the way around <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. So they had to. They had to like physically take each paper clip off so they could read it. Just in case you needed some. Yeah, just in case you needed any more. So we started at the Department of Health and we had a big screen outside the Department of Health playing a video on repeat of all of our kids um, and of the moment that Matt Hancock said that he would change the law, that, that, that we would all get prescriptions. Um, so we got quite a lot of um, people stopping and right. watching the video. And then we walked all the way from the Department of Health to Old Palace Yard and then we stood out there for a little while. Is that long walk? Uh, no, no, probably like half a mile. And is that like a symbolic walk? Were they like taking pictures of you doing that, or was it literally just you needed to go from A to B? Well, we got lots of media attention as we were going. Right. So yeah, we did get a lot of pictures out of it uh, because we all come from different parts of the country. So all of the regional news were there as well as the national. So it was we we all get quite a lot of support actually, particularly right. from the local stations. I did see you on uh, BBC. Yeah. The BBC, and they were like from Trowbridge. Oh yes. And I was sat there. Yes. He's fucking through. Yes. He's fucking through. I actually think he was saying that he was in Trowbridge because he did. Because I did watch what part of it, and I'm sure he said that we were in through. But they did the, the news article, the written article was terrible. And he, he spent. They spent. Um, spelt Spencer's name wrong. <laughs> Honestly, it's just ridiculous. But hey, yeah. we'll ignore that one. ITV have always been really good. Right. I was yeah. on ITV the other day. Yeah. And I said to you, 
they're really good. Yeah, they um, are really good. Okay, cool. So sorry, I just we went off on one there. What what's what's the next step? What's the next step? So we keep fighting. We personally keep fundraising. Uh, Lee's doing another race for us. Lee, shout again, Evans, shout out Lee Evans. Lee Evans has been amazing. Uh, he did race to the Stones last year and raised almost four and a half grand. Incredible. Um, he's doing race to the castle, I believe, um, in a few months' time. So he's going to start another fundraise for us soon. So hopefully that will that will go towards the other half of the bill that we're having to front still right. at the moment. Um, and we just keep fighting. We potentially have some. Uh, we're hoping that we can get some investigative journalists interested and perhaps do a documentary with uh, all of us families. Um, that's that. You know that would be an ideal next step. Speaking of truth. Yeah, just it'd just be nice for somebody to come and and portray our story for what yeah. it really is. You know, rather than these brief news items. Yeah, that's that's the thing, is it? Because the the brief news items are. are Good and they're good for you to put into your campaigns and be like, hey, we we had this, this, and this, and this backing. But they pick and choose. But yeah, they they go with what's good for them. They do. You do an interview and not good for you. Exactly. You do an interview and then afterwards you're just wondering which bits they're going to pick out. Mm. And and you know many of them are really positive, but sometimes you're a bit like. Well, you won't get that on the giant pod. No. Well, actually, it's really nice to sit here and talk. In length, at length, and uh, you know, and honestly about everything, rather than the snippets that we're always throwing out there. Yeah, because I feel like with that stuff, you have to be a little bit contrived because you have yeah. to. You 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 know what their game is, and you've got to play them their own game, and that feels strange. Definitely, you're just putting okay. on a show, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's nice to talk about Chloe. She's a bit of a celebrity, really, in in Froome. She's. You know, more people, more people know her than know me. So, like, literally, people walk up to me in the street and they're like, "Is this Clover?" I'm like, yeah, I'm just, just a mum. Is this Clover? Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I'm a mum. Hi. I'm a mum. You don't know me. That's brilliant. Well, shout out Clover. Shout, shout out, out Spencer. Shout out Lee. Shout out yourself and everyone who helps out. We're Thank gonna you. put some links and everything in description boxes and stuff like that and, and if you've got the links to go fund me's or donations yeah. and things like that shoot it our way brilliant we'll put it all in Thank is you. there anything else you, you want to to say before we wrap up no i think that that's yeah that's been good thank you sick thank you very much thanks andy cheers big thank you to this week's guest emily howis for coming on the pod being so vulnerable, being so honest and sharing Clover's incredible story with us. If you want to catch up with what Clover's doing or you want to read more, we're going to leave links to all kinds of things that were discussed in this podcast in the show notes description box. If you have a friend that you think would enjoy this podcast or benefit from hearing this conversation, then please share that with them. That helps us grow and no one spends any money. That's brilliant. Uh, Like, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. That would be great. Uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter is at the giant pod. If you want to follow my Instagram is Andy underscore TGP. This podcast was produced by a man who guzzles CBD oil like it's lemonade. Harry Williams. <laughs> we will see you next week on the giant pod. Thank you so much. That's my stomach. If you can hear like weird little guffy sounds, the bass. Do you hear that?
the base of the Yeti is sat on my stomach and I'm just rumbling. It's disgusting. I sound like I'm decomposing. I sound like I'm in the putrefication stage. <laughs> 